this is the IBJ Podcast for the week of January the 8th, 2024, brought to you by Taft. I'm your host, Mason King. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, everybody, and Happy New Year. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that you checked in on your investment holdings late last year, especially because you almost certainly could expect some great news. Stocks went up about 25% in 2023, a nice correction from a lousy 2022. And don't say we didn't give you a heads up. On the IBJ podcast a year ago, Peter Dunn, aka Pete the Planner, predicted a quote-unquote bonkers year for stocks, with equities rising 30%. He wasn't quite as close on some of his other predictions, especially for the housing market, but, you know, nobody ever gets these things totally right. Given Pete's qualified success last year, we thought it'd be worth revisiting those predictions about stocks, interest rates, the housing market, and the overall economy, and then present a fresh forecast for 2024. Now, as David Letterman used to say, please, no wagering. But as you'll hear, Pete has some compelling reasons to be bullish on 2024, as long as the political climate in America remains at its usual low boil. Here's our conversation. As always, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Peter Dunn, a.k.a. Pete the Planner. Happy New Year. 2024, here for more. Let's do it. <laughs> I have to ask you about your annual tradition of evaluating your finances on December the 31st. Did you do that? What would have been what? Five days ago? Four days ago? Uh, oddly enough, I did it. Uh, however, I did it on January 3rd this year, just based on some circumstances. So uh, tradition was broken. However, same same exercise, just different timing. And uh, I loved it. I loved it. It's, it's it's it is a pleasure, not because things always go well financially for me, but just I love the feeling of like, oh yeah, I know what's going on, and it was great. Thanks for having yeah. Outline that process for me. I don't I don't completely understand it. Uh, highlight the process is it's basically grab all of your values of all of your accounts, and, and then just let let's see what's really changed from year to year. So it's this massive spreadsheet, right? And it says. Here's your net worth and assets and liabilities in 19, 20, 21, 22, 20. And, and you can just see like the growth in each account for the year. And it is a clean spreadsheet. It is not some weird aggregated thing. It is just a clean, easy way to look at your money. And I love it. You see your mortgage balance go down. It's it's just, it's so great. That's beautiful. You know, my wife who is really into spreadsheets has discovered now that you can get like good spreadsheets from our bank clean spreadsheets. I mean, where, you know, it's easy to manipulate the data and they don't ask you to, to talk to, uh, or to go through some sort of like, you know, into it or whatever TurboTax or whatever they go. And boy, she is in heaven. I mean, I <laughs> was looking over her shoulder last night. Uh, I'm not sure she was even, even knew I was there. She was so enwrapped by, uh, cataloging our expenses and, uh, it, it turned out to be a pretty good year. How about you? Yeah, it was a good year. Absolutely, it was a good year. Market did fine, as I know we're going to talk about. Very few things went down. I don't think actually anything went down, in, at least in my financial life. But yeah, it was a good year. I was pleased with it. Much different picture than 2022, 
when yeah, how was your like, 2020? I don't think we ever really addressed how your 2022. No, I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, we've recovered. Thanks for I know everyone listening is just like, boy, I hope Pete the Planner's doing well financially. I know <laughs> people are really upset right now. Be careful. Focus on your drive to work, everybody. I'm okay. Yeah, we promised listeners, though, last month that we would have your predictions for 2024. We need to do this before we get too deep into January. You have agreed to review the predictions that you made a little more than a year ago, about 2023. I have reviewed the tape. My memory is correct. You were aggressively optimistic. I was aggressively optimistic, specific to the S&P 500's value. Uh, If you check the tape, I said, I believe the S&P 500 will go up about 30%. Uh, Does that that jive with what you heard on the tape? Uh, You know, uh, quote, stocks will go bonkers starting in the third quarter and end up close to 30%, unquote. And so if you look at dividends and whatnot for the S&P 500, we ended at around 26% and change. Uh, It's up to you of whether you want to say that that is close to 30% or not. I will take that as a win. I'm not going to quibble because I was sort of in the same boat. I was very happy. Let's uh, let's start, though, uh, with your predictions in order. Number one, you said interest rates would start to come down in 2023. I'm really no expert in this stuff, but it, it seems like they went up but did not come down. They did come down, but they came down at the very end of the year. Like So, they, so I, I said, I believe on the tape, that I believe they'd start coming down in the third quarter and we would benefit from that. And it came down late fourth quarter. So I would, I'll give myself a, a what's in the middle. A not right, not wrong, but kind of a push on that one. And then uh, kind of the same, by the same token, you said the housing market will get hot again. Uh, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I was hot? wrong there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was wrong because of mortgage rates, actually, because mortgage rates went up so much and then didn't pull back as much as you would think because uh, they didn't have time to. I was wrong there, uh, which will be weird when we talk about my 2024 ideas. But no, I I think the housing market definitely cooled. I wouldn't say it tanked. I I saw a a real estate expert on one of the the national cable news shows the other day say this is going to be the worst time for residential real estate. And I totally disagree with that. But it definitely has cooled a bit. Yeah. You know, it it did get a a little bit better. specifically for sales of existing homes for most of the year. If you look at the year over the year sales, it was, you know, each month was like between 14 and 23%. But in November, which is I think the month that we have the most recent figures for, it was only a 7% drop. So it seemed like, I mean, how do I interpret that? Like there was more optimism because of, of what the Fed had said about being able to cut interest rates this year. Yeah, I know that when I looked at the economy last year, even as the year was going on, Mesa, my thoughts were the student loan repayment situation that started in the fall, that would cause some economic distress. So far, I've been proven wrong with with that in the sense that I saw just the other day, holiday sales were up 5% to an all-time high. And I thought holiday sales in 2023 would be down because of student loan uh, repayment starting. So I was definitely wrong about that. But I, I think, and I'm trying to go to the raw data here. I think if you said, okay, what is the unemployment rate? What are the new jobs numbers? What's the stock market doing? Uh, if you look at those three factors, the economy is fantastic, right? It is 
it is a it is really nice for people who benefit from those types of things. Yeah. Uh, um. And, and this is by no means getting political or anything like that. But I know that the economy will be a, a arguably a factor in the next presidential election. I would say right now for people who benefit from things like a good stock market, a good jobs market, uh, it, it's a really solid economy. Now the interest rates are still troublesome, and I think going into twenty twenty four, that's where we can see some improvement. Your number three prediction was that the recession would be over by the third quarter of 2023. Was there really even a recession? Yeah, I guess that's debatable. If I'm trying to put words into my mouth retroactively, which I think is called lying, technically. (laughs) um, (laughs) I I think what I was trying to say is I think whatever economic strife existed would be over by the third quarter. I I somewhat buy that. I think people are still going to argue and debate until the end of time about the Fed's intervention into with interest rates and, and quantitative easing and those sorts of things. I think people will argue that the Fed made it worse because people are still arguing that. But I would say the, the Fed did a reasonable job of creating a soft landing. I think we avoided a, a crisis. I think we were on the verge of a crisis, uh, or the verge of a recession, if not dipped into a little one, but we did not hit it hard. So I, I don't know. I was a little more right than wrong there. I think the funny thing is, as the listeners uh, get to uh, consume this uh, here discussion between you and me, they're going to hear me say consistently how I was right. And then they will consistently be like, no, I'm pretty sure you said the opposite. So feel free to comment or email Mason about my inability to accept being wrong. Okay. So that's it. Let's talk about your predictions for 2024. Again, we have four categories. Number one interest rates. You never know what the Fed is going to do until they decide what they'll do. And when they decide to announce it, they did pencil in three interest rate cuts for next year, because apparently inflation is close-ish to their their 2% goal, kind of back to what we're used to. Does that sound likely? It does. I've read some ideas this week that some people suggest that they could cut rates as much as eight times in 2024, which is Pretty, pretty aggressive. Uh, I'll probably go somewhere in between that. I think there'll be five to six cuts. Um, Whoa, that come yeah. on, that's on the high end. Well, I mean, high end's eight, Mason. <clears throat> we we've just put the the bumper in. Well, I didn't I didn't see eight. I'm just going off of what you said. I saw six as being the high end. Okay, well, I, I will say five then. How about that? Just that's short wonderful. of the uh, short of your bumper. I think it'll be five, and I think they'll be modest the entire time. I think they'll just be very small cuts. Um, I don't know. It's almost like a Fed victory lap to some degree of like they, they whether it was causation or correlation, everything sort of worked out. Uh, and so I think that they'll just have the drama of these modest rate cuts throughout the year, which I think ultimately is going to just pour massive amounts of fuel into the economy. And I just think it's going to be a, a pretty robust economy late in the year. Here's what I'm bummed about. I was finally getting like 5% on my savings because interest rates were up. It's like, yay, I my I don't have to like risk anything here. I'm getting 5%. This is great. And then, you know, my uh, my planner said the other day, well, you know, that's probably not going to be the case at the end of next year. It's, like, it's true. And I, I would say even the fact that the Fed is hinted at what is to come, I think it's going to be tougher to get long-term CD rates. Mm-hmm. That are, are 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 at that sort of four or five percent level. I think you take a look at those high yield savings accounts; they will not be anywhere near 
5% 12 months from now. So there's my first official, that's my second prediction. Five interest rate cuts. Oh, have I said this is for entertainment purposes only? <laughs> no way. Have we done that? <laughs> this you is for run. entertainment purposes only. Do not take action on anything I say. So 5%, five cuts. And then I think, uh, I, th I, I bet three and a half percent would be the absolute ceiling on a high yield savings account that's probably paying 5.35% or something right now. So I think it goes down to three and a half. Just for the sake of, uh, of the Mason King of five years ago, before he started dealing with you on a regular basis, explain to the folks, why would lower interest rates be like fuel for the economy? Because businesses can borrow money. And when businesses can borrow money, they can produce more output. Uh, and I think I live in the startup world. I know some of you know, some of you don't. I am the CEO of, of, of a tech startup, right? So uh, that happens to be financially related. Last year, 2023, in the tech startup world, it was really hard to come about capital. I mean, you, you couldn't borrow money. You couldn't take on investor money with proper valuations. I didn't try to because we didn't need to. It wasn't part of our business plan last year. But had I wanted to do it, it would have been very difficult. So that is to say, um, if I needed new machinery or new engineers or all these sorts of things and needed to, to take other people's money to make that possible, it would have been hard to do it. When interest rates are low, when, when lending and investing opens up, then I can produce more revenue, produce more out, uh, output. And so very simply put, uh, when money is cheap, businesses thrive because they can borrow the money, leverage it for output, and then pay back the, the, the lent capital. So on that note, we go to number two, which is the housing market. I'm assuming there we have kind of the same situation. Money is cheaper. People can buy more stuff, uh, including houses, and then they need to buy stuff for other houses. So again, I referenced this, this real estate expert I saw. It was one of the crazier interviews and it, without naming names, it was just an absurd interview I saw. And this person is in the commercial real estate space, but was making predictions about the residential real estate market in 2024. And they said it will be catastrophic. Now, here's the thing. This person knows more than I do theoretically about how these things work. But Mason, if interest rates are falling and mortgage rates are falling and people sort of pulled back on buying homes for a dozen months or so, also called a year, um, then, then that pent up demand that we saw on the late end of 2020 into 2021, where the American consumer, it, it, it has to spend money. The American consumer has to spend money. They, they're just built that way. And I don't know why I'm pulling myself out of that equation. We're just, yeah, my wife would disagree with you, by the way. Well, about what part? About us needing to spend money. Americans need to spend money. That's how they're built. And so I will say. Here's the bold prediction. I think in the third quarter, probably September, October of 2024, I think there's going to be a massive run on housing. I think there will be very low inventory. It's going to be one of those, your bid better come in $15,000, $20,000 higher than the asking price sort of things. Like it was in 2021 when everyone, you know, in COVID, when everyone's just like, oh, there's no supply. I think that's going to happen again. Yeah. This is my recollection of how the dynamic there, because interest rates were higher. Uh, people who were sitting on homes that maybe in better days they would might want to sell to upgrade were just sitting on their houses. They weren't. Nobody was selling, so nobody could buy, because nobody could buy. Uh, younger people were stuck paying super high rent in apartments. Uh, but you think? I mean, that whole situation will, will unlock potentially. Yeah, because what we've got now is. 
I think the interest rates, mortgage rates have got to get around five and a half percent or below for this thing to break loose. And, and I think you could start to butt into that in the third quarter. Okay, let's take a quick break so we can hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm, with more than 800 attorneys in eight primary Midwest markets and the District of Columbia, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. All right, we're back with this week's edition of the IBJ podcast in my interview with Pete Planner about his predictions for 2024. And the number three uh, category for our predictions was economic growth versus recession. So we're pretty clear on strong economic growth. I think so. And again, I don't really want to talk a lot about my next point uh, unless you force me to. But again, then again, I'll probably punt. I think there's some geopolitical headwinds that um, that are possible, uh, obviously, as the year goes on. For me to talk about a constitutional crisis is just an affront to education and law altogether. But I would suggest if we find ourselves at, at a crossroads as a country with a constitutional crisis, probably not great for the economy. Is that going to happen? I don't know. I listen to a podcast or two, but I have no idea what I'm talking about. So don't listen to me. But but that would be a concern as it relates to the economy. Yeah, that was uh, that was a hidden question for later in the interview. What does a, a presidential election sure I have to do with the economy? Don't and, I have to answer that now? Then sure, go ahead. I think these are not. Can I just again? These are not political comments. These are more predictions as opposed to what I want. Yeah, I think if former President Trump is able to run and runs. I don't think you have a constitutional crisis and I don't think the economy gets hammered. I think if President Trump is not able to run or he is in jail or whatever, I mean, look, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. He's any of these things. I think the economy would suffer from that. And that's not to say it should or shouldn't. I'm just saying if there's that much strife, you have to assume people will lose confidence, whether they should or shouldn't. I think, and I don't even want to say, Mason, well, that's my fear because then it's me saying what I want to have. It doesn't matter what I want to happen. I just think that that would be the result. And I, the, the reality is at some point in time, I'm not going to be proven correct either way, right? Because it, it is going to be binary. He's either going to be able to run or he is not going to be able to run. And we will not see the opposite side of that from an economic output. Well, let me throw you something a little more touchy-feely. Uh, hopefully to your relief. A new term got entered the parlance this year. I think I forget if it was coined this year or not, but it's the vibe session, which is the vibe. Are you familiar with this? What kind of brownies are you eating, pal? (laughs) Just the stuff on the Wall Street Journal site. Okay. I can't vouch for those guys. The vibe session. It's the sense that even though the economy was going really well, everything was pointing up. A lot of people still felt like they were in a recession, or at least in part because the stuff that they uh, that they buy on a day to day basis it just costs more than it did two years ago. And you know, once costs go up, once prices go up, once I got a, you know, I'm paying twenty four dollars a pound for corned beef, 
they don't tend to go down again. You know, this is an old guy conversation when we start quoting prices for meat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just well, I happened to be like, in the deli the other day. Yeah, but just by definition, I'm like, we've crossed over the Rubicon <laughs> into deli prices. Which How is much is a pack I, of cigarettes now? I'm kind of curious. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there for a while. I'll say this. I don't know about the, your vibe session. I, I, I mean... I can't believe you don't know this term. I read it all the time. I, I don't know. I, I'll say this. I will fully acknowledge a healthy economy doesn't necessarily serve all of those in the economy. Okay. So that maybe that's a more academic way of saying vibe session in, in the sense that the economy has been fantastic for me, right? It has, it's been great this last year. However, in 2020, as a business owner, when the economy was closed, the economy was terrible for me. But it was good for other people, right? So vibes or not, I, I don't know. I, I will say the raw economic data suggests if you have stability, this economy is great for you. If you're a 22-year-old with a bunch of student loans and expensive housing and expensive health care and no assets, yeah, the economy stinks for you. But for it to be good for you is for it to be bad probably for the job creators and the people who are trying to create uh, more jobs. And again, I hate calling myself a job creator. I'm, I actually may have just thrown up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> All right. I'll let you take a drink of water and I will introduce number four. S&P 500 growth. That's the one everybody wants to know. That was, I mean, I, I saw S&P on my chart at about 24. But you said, you said when you throw in dividends, it was up 26? Yeah, 26. Okay. I will say, I view my, on my podcast, you I have said, a podcast? Please stop. <laughs> I, I have a podcast, and I said 19, apparently, as I'm told today, I said 19% on my podcast and then close to 30 on your podcast for some reason. I don't know why, Ooh. but I was right in the middle. <laughs> do not follow my advice, anyone. Do not make decisions on this. This is for entertainment. I think the S&P will be up 14% in 2024. 14? 14. One four. One four. Okay. What do you think? Well, I thought you, the way you were talking before, I thought you were going to forecast another 30%. It's possible. I think here's what I see happening. I see the economy and the housing market being amazing. And then the market being spooked from the first week of November on to the end of the year yeah. because of geopolitical concerns, right? So what I've said is, I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth. I, I, it actually, it's a story that makes sense. I think the economy is going to be on this beautiful road for recovery, constitutional crisis. I like, I talk so flippantly about this, like, oh, you know, if there happens to be, you know, a once in a lifetime constitutional crisis, uh, that could take us off track. But, but no matter what happens come November, it's still going to be messy. I think the last eight weeks of the year are going to be messy and scary and and the market is going to suffer for it. So even if it was at 28, 30% for the year, I think it nestles in at the end of the year uh, around 14. And for what it's worth, like, and again, don't take my advice on this. I'm not changing how I invest this year. I mean, that's the, that's the whole point. I'm a buy and hold investor who's got a long-term outlook. I took my 26% this year. Thank you, sir. And I'll take my 14% next year. Don't really care. Even if it's 8% next year or minus 10%, I don't really care because it all evens out in the end and I'm a long-term investor. You know, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but I know 
I've guys, I've, I've buddies who took their money out of the market probably, I don't know, 18 months ago. And now they feel comfortable putting it back in. And I try to give them the reasoning for staying in it when it's down. And, uh, and the, apparently I'm not doing a good job. You know, I was listening to some cable news the other day. I got to stop that. I was listening to some cable news the other day and and someone was talking about how investors, when they open their 401k statements this year and see the brackets, meaning that they lost money, they're going to be upset. And I, and I was like, who let this person on cable news? No one's 401k went down last year. And if it did, you did it wrong. Like that, that's like the weird part about all of this is that we get in such a hurry to be smarter than this or that, that it's like you had to do nothing to make 26% last year, nothing. And so if you lost money, it's not the economy's fault. It's not the president's fault. It's your fault because you putzed with it too much. You know, the thing that really just chaps my hide is that you know, I'm, a little more advanced age than you. And so I have more conservative, you know, principles at work in my portfolio. And so I'm at work and I go, oh, SP's up 26%. Yeah. And then, you know, I look at my 401k statement and it is like 13 or 14. And I'm just, Ugh, come you on. Know, you know what? That that's a actually I'm glad you said that because in some aspects, I did get 26% last year, but other blended portfolios, I did get in that mid-teen range, just like you. And you know, it's natural to be like, well, where's that extra 10%? I, I should have gotten it. If you have a blended portfolio with bonds and other holdings, you're going to have that blended rate. And Mason, you should not be upset on any level with 13 or 14%, uh, especially in a de-risked sense, because because you had a blended portfolio... Uh, had the market gone down 25%, you would have only gone down 10%. So I have to remind myself of that too. On, on this past Tuesday, I was just getting ready to do my financial review for the year. I came across some of that data and I was like, oh, well, where's <laughs> yeah. the 26% in this count? And it wasn't because it was blended. Uh, so what else is on your mind as we uh, as we head into the beginning of the year? Any hot takes, any uh, concerns, thoughts? I think there's a lot of talk around like ETFs relating to cryptocurrency and um, Bitcoin and how that could affect, you know, alternative currencies going into the new year. That's something worth noting. I mean, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies definitely recovered in 2023. Uh, they were they were getting beaten up 2022 in, in those timeframes. So you could see them take off again. That again is not investment advice. I don't mess with cryptocurrencies whatsoever. I acknowledge their existence and realize that people do have questions around them and, and theories around them. But I think you you might see those markets continue to recover. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in the car world, whether these production challenges that some of the EV manufacturers have and the tax credits, you know, not really being there for except if you're for a certain number of vehicles. I think the the car marketplace, in my opinion, might be one of the most interesting unknowns of 2024. Is it going to be hard to buy a car? Is it going to get easy again? Will, will the buyer have leverage once again, or do you just have to take what you can get when you go to the lot? That's really interesting because I'm I'm actually, uh, uh, before the interview, I was uh, working on one of our newsletters for tomorrow. One of the stories is about how the the EV sales market hasn't you know fulfilled the, the, the pretty optimistic predictions of the Biden administration. You know, I, I think they they said maybe half of all new cars sold in the U.S. by 2030 will be electric. 
And and while sales are continue to go up, they're not going up at that kind of pace. And it sounds like the car manufacturers are are kind of pulling back on some of their uh, more optimistic predictions. I think ultimately the consumer is going to have to dictate and I'm getting out over my skis for everyone that's listening here. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but it's my opinion. Uh, I, I feel like the consumer is going to speak. If if uh, there's a massive demand for EV, then they'll be made. If there isn't, they they won't. Here's the thing. I, I'm I have no I, green energy is great. EVs are great. I don't want one. Like, and so I I don't know what to tell you. Like everything about my life tells me I should own an EV. Everything, literally everything. Cost isn't a problem to me. Blah, blah, blah. I don't drive that far. I don't want one. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people in my sh- a lot of dummies like me. I think one of the, one of the points that the story makes is that the the presumption of uh, the people behind this push were that uh, you know uh, gas powered vehicles, electric vehicles were sort of analogous that you could just switch out one for the other, and that is not really the case. Um, and that you can't really put all your eggs in the EV basket if you're looking to you know promote a green economy and to lower emissions. Yeah, the the argument you often hear people like, well, they're so fun to drive. I'm like. A, I don't enjoy fun. I think it's important to note that. And B, I'm not going to find it driving on my six-mile commute to work. I don't care. So like, if there's weird arguments still that exist in the EV space that that I just can't get my head around. But again, now it just turned into like two old guys griping about meat prices and electric vehicles. So There you go. Well, how about this? Where can you find the best buffalo chicken sandwich? Hmm. Easy, the rusty bucket on 86th Street. Good call. All right. Uh, well, uh, maybe I'll see you there sometime. Thank you, as always. And uh, and we'll check in before uh, the end of the year. You think? Yeah, <laughs> probably will. I wish everyone a, a happy 2024. Hope you find some peace and uh, let's all be civil to each other. All right. I really appreciate it, buddy. My thanks again to Pete Dunn. And a quick reminder... Pete's column on personal finance appears regularly in the print edition of IBJ, and you can find several years' worth of his work at ibj.com. And before you get on with the rest of your week, there are a few stories in the latest print edition of IBJ I'd like you to check out. First up, the NBA All-Star Weekend is just six weeks away, and it's a much different event from what originally had been planned for 2021, but was canceled due to the pandemic. IBJ kicks off its coverage this week with two front-page stories. Susan Orr details the new approach for entertaining non-ticketed bands and involving local businesses and volunteers. And Dave Lindquist chronicles how local hospitality venues are gearing up to host the many public, private, and corporate events connected with the NBA's mid-season extravaganza. Also in this week's issue... Daniel Bradley outlines the distance between what has been proposed for the Mauer Commons site in Whitestown and what some community members and town councilors would like to see. You can find these stories in the latest print edition of IBJ or online at ibj.com. And thanks again for making time this week for the IBJ podcast. I'm Mason King. Hang in there, everybody. We'll be back again next week. Mm -hmm.